Well, happy birthday, Barrel Life Church. Come on, who's excited that we're celebrating 16 years? Man, it has been an incredible, incredible ride. For some of you who weren't here in the beginning, we were portable for nine and a half years. So for nine and a half years, we'd meet at a school, and we set up, and we would tear down, and then finally the Lord blessed us with a place that we could call home, that we could gather, and man, we've just been so excited what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And so we also wanna welcome our Ashland campus, and then boy, come on, get for our Ashland campus, guys. Come on. Everybody watching online, you know, I never forget, you know, 16 years ago, our very first Sunday was at the conference center downtown, and, and I woke up before daylight, and I, I got outside on our back porch, it was freezing, and it was, you barely could see the sun getting ready to rise, and I just begged God, God, would you give us this city? Would you give us this region? We had no idea what God had in store on that very first Sunday at the conference, and we had 139 people showed up. Now, I was ecstatic. I was like, oh my gosh, 139 people, you know, took a chance to come out here to the conference center and hang out with us. And the very next Sunday, usually when you plan a church a lot of time, they want you to try to launch as large as you can because half the people don't show back up the next Sunday. All your family, all your friends, everybody comes out support you on that big day. And we did a soft launch. We didn't go big. We didn't, like, tell everybody to show up like that. We just invited people that we knew. And the very next Sunday, 137 people showed up. So only two people didn't come back. And I never forget, I went over to Pastor Adam. I said, I think it's gonna work, man. I really think this is gonna work. And from that point up, it's just been this amazing ride just to see what the Lord has done. And we're super humbled, we're grateful, and we're excited for the last 16 years. And, but we're really looking forward for the next 16 years to see what God has in store in this region. Amen? And so uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Hopefully the Lord has been using this series to speak to your life. We ended the series today of Ecclesia talking about the question, what is the church? We all have our different ideas when it comes to the church because we were raised differently. What you believe about the church is what someone told you or something that you have experienced because we all have our preconceived ideas. For some of us, we think the church is just a building, it's a location. For some of us, when we think of the word church, we think of an event, a service, or we think of hypocrites, we think of judgmental, we think of backwards, we think of outdated, we think of you know no impact in our society. Uh, I don't know about you what it comes to your mind when you think of the word church. And so what we decided to do is do a series on the church and look at this word. The first place that it's found in the Bible is in Matthew, this Greek word called ekklesia. The ecclesia literally means the called out ones of God. It means the ones that God has called out of this world, out of their sin. When they finally got to the English translation, they didn't know how to translate this word ecclesia. At that time, a lot of times, the, the word church took on a meaning as a location or the house of the Lord. And so the English translators wrote in the word church when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church. I would suggest you a better English translation would be, I will build my assembly. I will build my congregation. God didn't say I'm gonna build little tiny buildings all over every nook and cranny all over the place. He said, I will build my congregation. I will build my assembly. I will call them out of their sin. I will call them out of darkness. I will call them out of this world. And that's what he means when he says, I will build my ecclesia. We know it today, our English, we would say church. For instance, church is not a place you go to, church is a place that you belong to. You didn't come to church this morning, you brought the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the called out one to this facility. And so it's with that mindset that we understand what the church is. 
So what Jesus talked about in week one, we talked about Jesus is the foundation of the church. He says, I'm the head of the church, I will build my church, he's the cornerstone, he is the foundation. We talked about the church being a family. Now, we're not a perfect family. You come from a perfect family. You know, we have messed up family. It's just how it is. We're a family. But in our family, you will find your new identity in Christ. You'll find your support system. You'll find how to be cared and protected for. That's what a family does. We talked about being the body, like the body. The church is like a body. And our body all functions so that we can function healthy. And when you don't perform the function of the body that God's placed you in, then we are not healthy. We are all connected to each other, and watch this, we all need each other. Now, I made the suggestion to you, I said, listen, it's so important that you find you a local body, right? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're part of the Big C Church right now. We have men and women all over the world worshiping Jesus. You're part of the family of God. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ because you were adopted into the family. But I encourage you that you need to find a local gathering, a local Ecclesia, let's go in a local church body where you can use your talents, your gifts, and use the things that God's given you in that local church. And I made this, and I really mean this. And if you can't find, if this is not that place for you, then please, I beg you, go find. There's great Bible-believing churches around. Find you a church that you can use your gifts, your talents, as God has wired you. Watch this, so you can do your part in the body. Because when the body is healthy, trust me, We'll see growth, God will grow his kingdom through you. And so let's go back to the very first passage that has the word ecclesia, it's in Matthew, if you turn with me in Matthew, if you grab your Bible, go back to Matthew or on the phone. And in Matthew, this is the very first place we started this series. And I overlooked a lot of it, waiting for this moment right here to share with you, maybe that, that God will open up your eyes to this passage, you would understand a little bit more about the mission of the church of God. And so Matthew chapter 16, if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the area Caesarea Philippi. Now I'm gonna stop right there. Let's unpack this for a moment. Caesarea Philippi is the sin city of the day. When you find or you hear the word sin city, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word like, like detestable sin, what would come to your mind? I'm gonna keep it PG-13 a little bit today, even though this is a rated R city. Maybe I would go as far as this is a rated X. This fact, this don't even have an alphabet letter. It is so bad, y'all. Like this one is really, really bad. Like this place, this is Sin City, and Jesus took these Jewish teenage boys to this city. Now, as a little Jewish boy or as a boy raised up, this is a city you were told to avoid. You were not to go there. It's detestable. It's so unclean. You don't even look north of Jerusalem to go to this place. This is a very wicked, wicked place. And here Jesus taking his disciples, and I would say all of them, maybe one of them wasn't, are teenage, upper teenage boys, and he took these, I, would, I don't know if he's taking them to do a graduation speech but we know a week after going to Caesarea Philippi, he goes up onto Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon, if you remember the story that scholars believe, this is where the transfiguration took place. This is when Jesus went on top of the mountain, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and all of a sudden, he showed them his glory. In fact, Peter writes about this. He says, we saw his glory, the magnificence of his glory. And then Moses and Elijah appeared, and they comfort Jesus, talk to Jesus about what's the things to come. Peter gets so excited, says, let's do a building campaign. Let's build one tabernacle for you, for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus, one tent, and we'll just stay on top of the mountain forever. 
And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah disappeared, and all of a sudden, a cloud surrounded them, and then they heard the voice of God that this is my son. They heard. Peter literally heard the voice of God. That's the mountaintop. But this is a week before they went up on top of the mountain. They go through this place called Caesarea Philippi. In fact, I have a picture. So I'm gonna try to, because we can't go there and we probably don't wanna go there right now. I'm gonna show you this picture here. This is a picture of Caesarea Philippi. And you see an arrow here. It's really little tiny. If you go right above it, there's some orange writing and down is Mount Heron. This is the Golan Heights. This is on the border of Syria. This is where they're fighting today Hezbollah, right here to the north part of Israel even to this day. So they make the track from the Sea of Galilee, from the Galilee area, they go up here. This is a place you were told your whole life not to go. It's right here where the Canaanites and Dan, right here, in fact, it's called Bananas today. This is in the Golan Heights that they said that Israel are occupied, even though it's Israel's land. They're saying they're occupied, and Syria wants it back. They want this property back. This is the place that is like the sin city of the day, and Jesus marches these boys right up to Caesarea Philippi to do this graduation speech. Now, Jesus knows everything. He knows what's coming. He knows what's taking place. But I guarantee you these boys were speechless. Why in the world is he taking us to Sin City? Why in the world is he taking us to a place that my mama told me that not to go? If we step into that place, we will become ceremonially unclean. Just by being close to it, I already feel the depravity of this city. Now, what made this city so wicked? Well, you may have heard in Greek mythology of a god named Pan, where we get panic and pandemonium from. Pan is a picture, maybe you've seen him, they try to make movies of certain ones. He's half goat down, half human up. So this was the god Pan, and Pan was half human and, and half goat. And he was very detestable, fertility, all the stuff that he would do, all the things that people would do to try to appease this god. In fact, here is a picture that you can go to the day of this area. And this picture, you'll see a massive hole in the side of a cave, of the rock. This is the cave. You'll see all the ruins below it. These were buildings upon buildings. To your right of this, to my right, if you're looking, to the right of that opening of that massive hole, that massive hole in the cave, to the right of it is a place we're called Dancing with the Goats. I only can ask you to use your imaginations. What they did in the bestiality moves that they would do with goats, men and women, to appease the God of Pan, to pull him out of this hole. You see, in the winter, and the fall, it would dry up, but the spring, it would be filled with water. They would go and they would sacrifice goats and they would kill goats and they would throw goats into this cave. If the goat floated, that means that the God, the pan and the gods of the underworld has rejected the sacrifice. So now they would panic. So they would go get a firstborn kid. They would get their children and they would sacrifice them and they would throw them into this cave. You could go visit this cave today. Hoping that if the, if the child or the goat would sink, that means the God, Pan, then would receive your sacrifice. Detestable, horrible, horrible things. And so to get Pan to come out, they would go over and perform all, perform all these different acts with goats to try to appease Pan to come to this place. You were a Jewish boy, this is sin city for you. Like, this is sin city, period. This is disgusting. Prostitution. Everything would take place, all these acts publicly, 
publicly just to appease the gods of the underworld, to try to get them to come out of this massive hole in this cave because this was the realm of the dead and this is how you get to the realm of the dead and this is the portal, this is the gateway. This is the gate to hell. This is the gate to the underworld as they would say. This is what it would look like back then with the buildings around it. Here's just a picture found. They kind of draw all the stuff around it. This is what it would look like. You'd have the temple in front of the hole, in front of the cave. They would go in, they would worship, they would sacrifice, and then on the backside would be open and they would toss their sacrifice into the, the cave. This is what it would look like if you were back in the first century and you were one of these disciples walking through here with Jesus. You would be scratching your head and you're going, why in the world is he taken to Caesarea Philippi? We could go around to Mount Hermon. Why does he go through this place? Here's another picture if you go visit today. You would see all these inscribes and things into the rock of this cliff. In fact, this is called the rock of gods. That's very key, that's very important to understand this kind of. This was known in the Greek as the rock of the gods. This is where all the gods would come. They would come through the underworld this way. This was the portal to, to, the, to death. This was the portal to the, the unliving. This is what they would go to. And it was named the rock of the gods. And Jesus took his disciples right to it. Now let's pick back up in verse 13. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, now do I know personally where Jesus was standing? No, I do not know but we can know by the context of the scripture, he has to be either on top of this rock looking down or right there where people could hear him. The placement of Jesus, I do not know. The context will show you that people who were doing these detestable acts who were right here could have heard the voice of Jesus. So he was right at this place somewhere located on this rock. And look what happens, Jesus says. Who do people say the son of man is? You're walking by all these shrines. You're at the, watch this, the rock of the gods. This is the place where the gods dwell, in through the portal and out of the portal, into this cave, into the underworld. And they answer, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. You're just one of the good prophets. But then he said this question, and this is the question that every single person on the planet will have to ask and will have to answer. But who do you say that I am? Not who does your pastor say that I am? Not who does your parents say that I am? Not who does your husband or your wife say that I am? Not, not what your parents say. You will have to answer this question on your own and make a decision. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is Jesus just a good man? Is he just a prophet? As other religions say, they don't deny that Jesus. Listen, there's no religion that denies that Jesus walked the face of the earth. They'll say he was a great guy, he was a great teacher, great rabbi, great prophet. He is from God, but he's not the son of God. You will have to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? And listen what Peter said, who was Simon, and Jesus changes his name. He's, Peter says this, you are the Christ, the Christo, the Messiah, the one to come. And look what he says, this is so important. You are the son of the living God. Very rarely in the scriptures do you find living God. And when you find living God, it's because there's a purpose. There's something that's taking place. Peter's like, you know, I was told not to come here, but I can see the gods, the rock of the gods. I can see this. These are all dead gods. These are all that go to their grave. But you are the living. You are greater than all these gods. 
You are the living God. Psalms 42 and 43, if you want to, for your Bible nerds out there and you want to write Psalms 42 and 43 down and go read it and compare it, contrast it to this text right here and you could see the living and the God is the rock of our God. He says, you are the living God. This is unbelievable because everyone here is worshiping dead false deities, shrines, knickknacks, things they scribed into it. This is the realm of the dead. But you, Jesus, there's something different about you. You are the son of the living God because all these gods are dead. And then Jesus says this, Matthew 16, verse 17. You are so blessed, Simon. Simon, son of Jonah, you are so blessed. Why is he blessed? Now watch this. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It is not our responsibility to try to convince people that they need Jesus. We love them, we share, but it's divine revelation and confession as how he built his church one by one. The Father reveals, he draws you to himself. And that's what happened to you. You went to an evangelism meeting, you went to a church camp, you went to revival, you came to church one Sunday, you went to Sunday school, you were at home and your parents looked at you, and something within you says, I need to know more about this Jesus. And you said, I'm ready to surrender and give my life to Jesus. You knew he came for you and he died for you. You knew what sin was, and he died for your sin and he took your place, and something within you says, I want him. Nothing on your own wants that. That is divine revelation where God begins to draw you. In fact, it's clearly stated in the scripture that no man or woman can be saved unless God draws them to himself. How does God draw people? Through the gospel. That's why we should be men and women always sharing the gospel because we can't save people. I can't even save myself. But someone told me the gospel. Someone shared the good news to me. And when the good news, when I heard it, the scales fell off and broke my heart that I wanted Jesus. How does God call men and women today? He calls them by the gospel. That's why we should be men and women preaching and sharing the gospel. Because that's how God reveals himself. To the good news of Jesus. The living God. The son of God. Peter, you are so blessed because no one convinced you of this. Flesh and blood. God revealed in your mindset he opened up your eyes, and there you believed. And then here, all that, all that to get to this point. Verse 18. So here's what's gonna happen, Peter. I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, in the Greek, which means little stone, little pebble. I'm gonna change from Simon to Peter. You are known as a little pebble, and this is so important because Peter writes about this. He says, we are the living stones. Jesus is the cornerstone, and he's building his people, his kingdom on living stones. We're the living stones. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, just like Peter, he says, you're a pebble, you're a stone. You've now become one of the living stones as Jesus is the chief cornerstone that he's building his ecclesia. It's amazing. Peter writes about this moment. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter Petros, and on this Petra, there's a word play, on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. I put a better translation in English, I will build my assembly, I will build my congregation, I will build the people of God, not buildings, not steeples, I will build the people of God on the confession of what you just said, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now your translation may say hell, but on the gates of Hades will not overpower. So what did Jesus mean when he says, you're Peter, 
and on this rock, I will build my church. It's one of the most studied after verses because so many different cultures and denominations and man-mades and, and theology has been produced of this moment right here. Did he say, Peter, you're a little rock, but I'm gonna make you a strong rock and I will build my church upon you and you will become the first pope because this is what Catholics believe, that Peter was the first pope. That he said, I'm gonna build on, here's the structure of the church. There's gonna be one person at the time, we'll build it on him, he will oversee the church, he has the authority over the church, he has the power to bind things and loose things in heaven and earth or purgatory, which doesn't exist. Because most of them know that the Pope declares he has the power to release your family members from purgatory because he has the keys to the kingdom. Whole theology has been based on this part right here. What did he mean when he says, you're Peter and I will build on this rock? Protestants or, or Protestants would say, it's the confession when Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, that's right, that's the rock. And on that confession of faith, I will build my church. And that is true, it's been on confession. So I, I, I kinda see where they get to that. But if you're a literist, and you study the Bible literally, and you take that word Petra, and you look through all the book of Matthew, and every single time he used the word Petra, it literally means rock. There's no analogy for it, there's no mixtape for it, it literally means rock when he says Petra. So what in the world is he looking at his disciples and he says, on this rock I will build my Petra, my church, the ecclesia, and watch this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's see if we can put this in the context. In this last picture as we close. You see this? This is, if you were walking up to that big hole in the cave I showed you, you know what the name of this hole is? It's the gateway to hell. It's the gateway to Hades. It's the place of the realm of the dead. And so the Greeks knew it as the rock of gods. Everyone else knew this is the gateway to Hades. Jesus stands takes him right to this place, and he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower what I set in motion. He takes him to Sin City for this graduation talk, and what I wanna suggest to you today, and what Paul, what, 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 what he literally means, what math literally means when Jesus said this, I believe this is, this is what I just think. When I look at the text, he suggests that on this rock, right here, we will build a church of ecclesia that the pagans and everything else will not overpower what I'm about to set in motion. Like this is where we wanna plant churches. This is where we're going. This is where I want you to go, guys, as this graduation speech, because in a week you're gonna see my glory on top of a mountain. But before you see my glory, I want you to know, I'm gonna leave you, and when I leave you, I want you to go and plant churches. Create, watch this, ecclesia is all over. And I want you to do it right here, right here, in the middle of a pagan world, right here in the middle of toxic culture, right here in the middle of idol worshiping, right here in the middle of detestable sin, right in the middle of Satan's activity is where I want you to build my church. 
And what's so sad is that most people retreat. We run away from this. In fact, this is, so, this is what's, it, what's it? Jesus told his disciples, right? If you keep reading Matthew, he says right after this, he says, listen, I'm gonna die. And three days later, they're gonna get me out of the grave. Peter, who just made the confession that you're the Christ, looks at Jesus, you'll never die. I will die for you. I will not let you die. And you remember the famous statement, right? Jesus turns around, looks at Peter and says, Satan gets behind me. Satan, get behind me. Satan was trying to use Peter to stop him from going to the cross. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. Satan, get behind me. And then Mark begins to give a little bit more light to the situation that took place. And Mark says, after he said this, I will build my church. After he said, I'm going to die in three days, let me get up. After he says all this, and after he rebukes Peter, this is what happens in Mark chapter eight. Watch this, look what he says. Then calling the crowd to join his disciple. Now that's an easy word, calling. He said, that literally means to yell. Now, I want you to put yourself in this context. Jesus is taking his disciples right into the middle of the toxic culture, right in the middle of Sin City. And he gets there and he says, listen, who does people say they am? You're the son, you're the living God, you are the one. These are all dead false gods, you're the ones. That's right. That's right. And here's what I want you to do. My father has revealed that to you. And through divine revelation, confessions, we're gonna build the church, the ecclesia, and I want you to do it right here. And the pagan society, right in the middle of sin, I want a cross to be planted right here. Literally right here. And I'm gonna die, I'm gonna get up out of the grave, it's gonna be crazy, but just trust me. He rebukes Peter, gets behind me, and then he turns and he calls the crowd. What crowd would he be talking to? I wanna suggest to you, it's the pilgrimage. It's the prostitutes. It's the ones up here doing detestable things with goats. This is the time of the year that they come and they try to appease the paying God to come out. And I want you to see what Mark says. He says, he yelled to the crowd. What did the rabbi yell to the crowd? Look what he says. Come here, join my disciples. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and you gotta follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the good news, you will save it. And what does it benefit you to gain the whole world? Yet lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous, sinful days, and trust me, that's what was taking place right in front of them. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory of his Father with all his holy angels. Right there, in the midst of this nasty culture, that's where I wanna plant my church. And look what he says here, watch this. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower. What do gates stand for? Gates are for defense. Gates, gates are to keep you out, to protect. And what he says is this, though, don't miss this. The church should be on offense, not defense. The church is to charge and go after it, not to retreat. 
And that's sadly what's happened to so many Christians. They've retreated. They let politics and their jobs and the world and cancel culture and Me Too movements to shut you up. They run. They don't want to offend nobody. They don't want to speak truth. Jesus said, wait, wait, this is where I want you to go. Don't retreat from it, don't run from it, but go to it. Sadly, so many churches now have become separatist. They separate themselves. They stay in their holy huddle because the world is so bad and it's so toxic. And they sit back and they say, listen, as long as you're with me, as long as us, but what about them? What about the ones who are worshiping the pagans and the false idols? who turn to detestable things. Are we to sit here? Or are we to go? He said, you're to be on the offense. Don't be a separatist. But then there's some churches are conformist. They just conform to the culture. They won't speak truth anymore. It's for all people. But when you speak truth in this world, people will throw stones. We're to be transformist and to go after a hell-bent world for them to be transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the mission of the church. No matter what church you ever attend on the face of the planet, if it's a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, Every single church on the planet has the exact same mission. Every church writes their mission statements and do all their fancy jargon when it comes to it. But at the end of the day, every single church has the exact same mission because Jesus gave it to us. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, therefore now go. This is right before he ascends to the Father. He's already resurrected. This is right before he says, look what he says. Go and make disciples of all nations, what literally means people groups. Every tribe, every tongue, every people group on the planet, you are to go and make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new Talmudines, these new disciples, to obey all the commands that I've given you. And now watch this. I know you're gonna miss me, but here's what I want you to understand. I am always with you, even to the end of the age. And this is what the church needs more than anything. They need in-reach and they need outreach. They need in-reach to disciple and grow and prepare and to be equipped to face a hell-bent, paganistic world. But they can't stay there. They have to go out and snatch people from the flames of fire of hell to pray for them and to love on them and to share the gospel with them so that their names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And over the last 16 years here at that we're aware of, that has just told us. In the last 16 years here at Better Life Church, there's been right at 4,300 people crossed from death to life in the last 16 years. Is that not unbelievable? 4,000. For the record of that, we're only in a city of 7,000 people. That's unbelievable. Statistically, that's just unbelievable. But that this many people be gathered at one location in a town as small as ours is. It's unbelievable. God is up to something. And I believe he's brought you because he wants you to be part of this movement. Because that's what the church is. It's a movement. And it will always be here. No matter how bad our world becomes, there will always be a remnant of the church. 
until Jesus comes back. Since Acts chapter two, when 3,000 people were saved and baptized, and Peter preached the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one day, just get a little bit, a couple more chapters, now there's 5,000, now there's exponential growth. And you know how they did it? All the way to the day, 2,000 years later? The Holy Spirit came and birthed the church in Acts chapter two. Because Jesus, I will build my church, that's future tense at that very moment, because it hasn't happened yet. And you know what happened? They made disciples, that made disciples, that plant churches. That made disciples, that made disciples, that plant churches. That made disciples, that made disciples, that plant churches. Every single church you've ever attended in your entire life was a church plant. A disciple was made, God did something in their heart that says, let's go, and they started a movement. 16 years ago, I stood on the stage, and here's what I says. We're not asking you to join the church. We're asking you to be part of a movement. Eastern Kentucky don't need so much another church in the sense that you think of church. They need a move of God. They need God to be moved through the ecclesia, through a congregation, through a group of people who make disciples, who make disciples, who plant churches, who make disciples, who make disciples, who plant churches. And that is, listen, the mission of the church. It's not to retreat, but to go. And so speaking of, of this, you know, of, of planting churches, I, I just wanna, I wanna share this with you. Um, I, I was contacted last fall by this guy named Justin and, and his wife, Nicole, and, and he said, man, I feel like maybe God might be stirring me to plant a church here in Bath County, and, and I was like, man, that's, that's awesome, dude. That's, that's great, come and let's talk about it. I think in the first two hours we talked, we can probably completely overwhelmed. He goes, Bleh. after 16 years, we had, I vomit everything about church, plant everything we know. And um, I talked to his pastor about it and all this stuff. And um, I think Justin, Justin, are you here today? Where's Justin? Justin, here? Justin can you and Nicole come up here real quick? I want to introduce you. I know, I didn't, he, he didn't know I'm gonna do this. He had no idea I was gonna do this. I know they hate this stuff. Come on, it's okay. This is Justin Nicole. And this is so important because I never forget when, I, when God told me to come and start a church, I never read a church planning book in my life. I didn't even know you could start a church. I thought that's what God did. I didn't even know, like, I didn't even thought about it. I, listen, I even went to seminary and didn't even thought about how do you start a church. So this is Justin and Nicole Perkins in Bath County. Come on, let's just get excited for them. And so they're in the the stages right now of their planning. There's some of you from that area, and I just wanna say, to put a name with the face of here, and some of you drive from some long, they're planning on starting a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church right there in Bath County. And so, yeah, that's exciting. And so if you're in that area, or you know people in that area, or you wanna meet and talk with them, I just want you to put a, a name and a face together. It's called Worth Church, and so it's gonna be amazing. And they're in a the pre-stage right now, just planning this out, and uh, we're gonna here to help and support him either way. But what I wanna do to him that I wish that, and there were, there were a few guys that did this and, and believed and pushed us out. We're here to help and coach in any way we can. But today, because of your generosity, church, we're gonna hand them a check for $10,000 to go plant your church, man. <laughs> we believe in you guys. And so, listen, this is how, watch this, make disciples that make disciples that plant churches that will make a disciple that make a disciple go plant churches. This is how, from Acts 2, it's always been. So we wanna be a mission-minded church to continue to plant churches to help people, to raise people up, watch this, so that we can charge the gates of hell 
to be on offense, not defense, because that's what Jesus called us to do. I'm asking you to bow your heads. Thank you, guys. Now, we gotta do all that again the second service because second people don't even know we're gonna do that yet. But you already know now it's coming, so. Listen, what has the Lord spoke to your heart? Has he revealed maybe you've been on the defense and it's time to go on offense, not to retreat? The church doesn't retreat, the church advances. Now that you see the picture there, and this is what's known as the gates of Hades, and right here, Jesus takes his disciples right to the place. He yells at the pagans who are in the axe and says, on this rock, I will build my church, the ecclesia. And I promise you, hell will not overcome the church. They may be hell all around us, but it will never overpower, it will never prevail. And in anything, I want you to leave here today encouraged that Jesus says, I am with you when you go into your workplace, when you go into the locker room, when you go to school, young people, when you go into your toxic professor who says things that's against the scriptures. Listen to me, I am with you. Leave encouraged today that you are part of the family of God and that no longer we're gonna sit and be on defense, but always go on offense to a paganistic world. And Jesus promised this, hell, Hades, the realm of the death, will not overpower it. So let's go after and snatch souls with the good news. And maybe you're here today and you're the very first time to come and maybe you realize, man, I didn't even picture all this together and, and this Jesus, something's going in my heart right now, something's going on in my life. I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in you. And I beg you today to give your life to Jesus before it's eternally too late. That you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. Only God can reveal that to you. And if He is, would you confess Him as Lord? Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I can't convince you of that, only Jesus can. And if he is right now, confess it. Because on that confession, Peter would say, you are now part of the family of God, you are part of a living stone, and we're gonna be built on the cornerstone of Jesus. He gets it now, Peter understands it. Father, we thank you so much for amazing 16 years. Can't even imagine how fast things have just flown by. And we celebrate that. Over 4,000 people crossed from death to life. Families restored, addictions have been broken. Prodigals have come home. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. And Father, as we look to the mountains through you, we lift our eyes toward you. May we continue to always be a church that make disciples that make disciples, that plant churches and plant churches to continue the Acts 2 movement when you sent your spirit and birthed the church. And God, use our local ecclesia, use us, Lord, in any way possible to continue to advance light in such a dark world. 
We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we ask and we pray. Come on now, and everybody say, amen, amen.